to turn in your Bible. This is Pastor Appreciation Month. I want to thank each and every one of you who have sent expressions of love. I didn't remember that until I got an email from one of our members who uh, not only loves me as uh, her pastor and their family loves me, loves my wife and my entire family. So I'm grateful for that. It's a true privilege uh, to be a shepherd of this house. Uh, We have a great church. And amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Now, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, we're continuing our study entitled, Frame Your Focus by Faith. Frame your focus by faith. The frame is the Word of God. The focus should be on the person and work and character and attributes of God. He is the substance. He is the authority. He is the stuff that faith is based on. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith understands that everything that we see was created by that which we cannot see. And so we are grateful for that. So today, as we are working our way through this pandemic, frame your focus by faith. Amen. Let's uh, rest as we walk our way through Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. And here is what the Word of God says. By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Let's pray. Father, we bless you and we thank you for allowing us to be gathered in this place today. May you be honored by all that we say and all that we do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Sorry for that. May you be seated. And uh, some of you may have seen the movie entitled Field of Dreams. In this movie, Kevin Costner plays the role of a corn crop farmer who has a field in the state of Iowa. And one day as he's preparing to uh, get his cornfield ready for harvest, uh, he hears a mysterious voice saying, if you build it, he will come. If you build it, he will come. And the voice gave further revelation by saying that you need to build a baseball field and they will come. And the day that will come were old, deceased baseball greats. Kevin Costner understood that where his farm was was somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And not only was it in the middle of nowhere, but if he built a, a baseball field, that would mean that the money that he would earn from his crop that he would lose and that he would have to pay for the materials to build the field. But the voice kept saying, if you build it, he will come. And so Kevin Costner felt compelled to follow the voice that was giving him this vision by faith. He framed his actions by the word that was being given to him by this mysterious voice. And so he started building this baseball diamond, and people thought he had lost his full mind. What is this guy doing? He's using up all his money. He's going to go bankrupt. 
And then finally, he completed the field. Weeks went by, months went by. And then one day, he looked out in the field, and lo and behold, there was a figure that he could see. And as he got closer to the figure, he noticed that it was shoeless Joe Jackson, who had died. But somehow, in this vision, he returned to life. And not only did he return to life, but two full baseball teams came back from the other side, according to this make-pretend tell in the movie. Amen? And so they began to play this game of baseball. And when they started playing the game, all of the people from the town came to watch the field. If Ray had not built the field based on the word, by faith, they would not have come. I want you to know that in the first book of the Bible, we meet a man whose name was Noah. And he heard a familiar voice uh, that instructed him to build an ark. And essentially, we're going to see that uh, what, if he built the ark, those that God intended to be on it would come. They would come if he built it. Now listen to uh, what the words of Genesis chapter 6, and you can turn your Bible because our backstory from Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 7, is going to be taken from the book of Genesis chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 1 through the actually end of uh, through chapter 9, but we're not going to look at all those verses. But listen to what verses 13 and 14 of chapter 6 in the book of Genesis says. God speaking to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make room in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. God was essentially saying to Noah as Ray was hearing from the mysterious voice, God was saying, if you build it, they will come. Now, in order to build what God was saying to Noah to build would take great faith. Because you see, prior to this time, it had never rained. In fact, there is no word in the text prior to chapter 6 that even describes rain. The earth was completely dry. And so God was asking Noah to do something that was illogical. It was nonsensical. It was totally something that hardly seemed real or necessary. But I want you to understand, as we go through this text today, God is still building. Jesus said, I will build my, rock, my church upon this rock, Peter, and, and the church, I'm going to build my church, and upon this rock, your kind of faith, Peter, and the very gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God is still building his church. And so I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, if you operate by framing your focus by faith, you will be building, adding to the church in such a way that as we share, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the dunamis, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And so as I am sharing this gospel, which is the power of God, I am building to those who are responding.
I'm adding to the church made up of living stones, the body of Christ, which is a temple of God. Somebody say amen. Now, why did God need to build an ark? Or why did Noah need to build an ark? Now, one of the interesting things, I, I really love uh, uh, history and science and learning about great inventors. The Wright brothers are attributed to being the first uh, for inventing the plane. And when they shared with their peers that they had this idea that they were going to develop a machine that would fly in the air and people could get in the machine and fly, their friends said, if God wanted us to fly, he would give us wings. Uh, when the automobile and the radio and other great inventions that we are benefiting from were created, people looked at the inventors who got this voice this mysterious voice about a potential vision of something that they could actually complete and make, people looked at them as if they had four heads. Now, people without vision cannot, could not see what the inventors by, saw by faith. The Bible says that faith is the evidence of things not seen. It sees what God has said as truth even before it is so. So what faith said, God said it, and even though it is not so, it is so because God said so. Faith is able to see what is invisible as if it were, were visible on the basis of the promise of God. And so whatever God has already decided for your life, and he talks about this in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, for I cause all things to work together for the good of them who love me and are called according. God says everything that will happen in your life, even though it doesn't happen the way we want it to, we can give thanks in all things, not for all things, because God is at work making it all work out for our good. And so God said to Noah, build an ark, build an ark. Now, I want to share four reasons why I believe God wanted Noah to build an ark. And the first comes from Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Listen to what Genesis chapter uh, uh, four, 6 says, beginning of verse 1. Now it came to pass that when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and the daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughter, that the daughters of men, that they were beautiful. Now the sons of God is a technical Hebrew term that refers to angelic beings. We see this in uh, Job, Job, Job chapter 1, verse 6, where it says that the angels or the sons of God appeared in the courts of God, and in the midst of that group was none other than Satan himself. And so the sons of God here are, are, are angelic beings. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took them, took wives from them of all they had, of whom they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he indeed is flesh. Yet as they shall be 120 years, there were Nephilim, giant on the, on the earth in those days. And, all, and afterwards, when the sons of God came into, had sex with the daughters of men, they bore children for them. Those were the mighty men who were, who were old men of renown. And so one of the reasons why the ark was necessary 
And for us, many of us grew up in church, and we learned about Noah and the ark and the flood. Uh, today, uh, that's not being preached and taught from the pulpits and even Sunday school. But we, we, we understand from these verses that there was a plot afoot. The scripture says that demonic fallen angels took on human form. The Bible says that we shouldn't be deceived by the devil's trickery because he appears. He masquerades. He disguises himself as an angel of light. And in this instance, in Genesis chapter 6, the angels actually took on human form. We know that angels can do that because the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and she saw him in human form. In Genesis chapter 18 and 19, we read about the angel of the Lord appearing before Abraham and Abraham gave a tie to the angel of the Lord. So angels can take on bodily form. But in their most natural state, they're spirit beings. That's why the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, that which we can see, but against spirits and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. And so angels in their most natural state are spirit beings, but they can transform themselves into angels of light. And so that brother that you fell in love with, you really thought was from God, but really he's an angel of light. He's disguised in order to deceive you. Like the angel, uh, Satan himself, in Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says that he entered into that which God called good. God called the serpent good before the fall of man. Serpents didn't crawl on their belly. They stood erect. But the Bible says that the angel, Satan himself, entered into the serpent and he spoke. Eve ought to have known something wasn't cool as soon as she heard a snake talking. But the scripture says that these angels were checking out the sisters, and they said, they fine. Ain't nothing like this in heaven where we got kicked out. And in hell where our boat is now, hey, the Satan is not confined to hell right now, nor is he omnipresent. The Satan is, is limited. In turn, he, 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 God is omnipresent. Satan is local. So wherever the most evil is occurring in the world, maybe at the White House, that's where Satan is. But demons that fell with, the, with, with Satan, the Bible said a quarter of the angels in heaven were cast out of heaven because of Satan's rebellion back in, uh, and, and, and we read this in Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 22. And so demons are all around us. Even when you got in your car today, you didn't travel here alone. The scripture says that in, in, in Hebrews chapter 2, that all believers are half the one in verses 11 and 12, that every Christian has been assigned ministering spirits. Angels have been assigned to you. Now, I believe sometimes the angels say, wait a minute, you're driving too fast, I think. <laughs> But just like angelic beings have been assigned to you, they're demonic spirits that also are that have been assigned to you. That's why the Bible says, let no man say when he is tempted that you're tempted of God. For when every man is tempted, he's drawn away by his own particular lustful desires. And when sin is conceived, it brings forth, forth sin, and, and it, then it results in death. My point is that demons study you. They have a profile on you. And they develop methodologies. They can't read your mind, but they know your ways. They know your ways. They know your habits. They know your secrets. They came to church with you today, and they want to blind you from seeing and hearing. And so there was a plot to prevent 
the promise of God from being fulfilled. The promise of God we learned in Gen last week in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. When Adam disobeyed God, the Bible said, the moment that you sin, the moment that you disobey me, you eat of the tree of, 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 of the fruit of good and evil, of knowledge of good and evil. He says, you shall surely die. Adam continued to live physically, but he died that moment that he disobeyed God. He died spiritually. He became separated from God. That's, when the, that's why every single one of us, the Bible talks about this in Ephesians chapter 2, that we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity, that we were dead on arrival spiritually. When, when they spanked our backside, the doctor, and we cry, oh, they're alive, everything's working. But there was no spiritual pulse. We are pulse. There was a flat line. And so the Bible says that in Genesis chapter 3 that God was going to sin through the wound of a woman. There was going to be enmity, conflict, a clash between Satan and the wound, this child that would be born from the woman. He didn't say when and, and where. And so from the day that God made that promise, Satan has done everything in his power to prevent the birth of Messiah, even up to the point where Jesus, where, where, where Mary, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Herod uh, put out an edict to kill all babies from age two and younger, every male child. Back in, in, in Exodus chapter uh, uh, three, uh, all, all male boys. And the point was, the, behind that decision of Pharaoh and Herod was to, to block the birth of the Savior, of the Messiah. And so the plot is one of the reasons why there was need for the ark. God says that these angels are currently the ones who cohabited, had sex with women and married them. God said that they, their, their sin was so grievous to him that he has confined, confined them to a place in Revelation chapter 9 and 12 called the abyss or the pit. Revelation chapter 9 says that during the tribulation that these angels that are in chain, that are bound right now, who fell in, in the book of Jude, it talks about these angels that have been confined by chains, will be released to torment the earth for a season. But this plot was for the purpose, the second thing was for the purpose to prevent the promise of the birth of the Messiah. Also, it was, the ark was necessary to to, to the power of the demonic plan is revealed. The scripture says that the Lord saw, Yahweh saw, how great the wickedness of human, the human race had become on earth, and they were inclined, their inclinations of their thoughts of every human heart was on evil all the time. And so what happened with, when these, this cohabitation occurred between angelic, demonic human beings possessed by Satan demons. The product was, the Bible says, giants were on the earth, Nephilim. This was almost like a, 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 a superior race. This was like creating an altered, gened human population, and the numbers were growing, and people, the Bible says, they were men who were looked up to. They were looked up to as renowned, and so regular human beings were looking up to them so that they could become like them. In order to stop the spread of evil, God had the ark in his mind for protection of his remnant to preserve the promise. I want you to know that God always has a remnant. 
God always has somebody. When we go back and study the history, Adam had three sons. His first son was Cain, who killed his second son, which was Abel. He murdered Abel, and he thought God that had not seen, and he didn't know that God saw. Every murder that, that occurs that may never get sobbed on this side of heaven, God saw it in the blood of the dead cry out to him in heaven. And then there was a third son, Seth. And then after Seth, there were there 3,762 years before another person lived for God. And the Bible says, then there was Enoch, and Enoch got saved at age 65. And after Methuselah was born, he walked with God for 300 years. And then after Methuselah, there was one person, and his name was Noah. In all of the earth, God searched high and low, and there wasn't a single solitary person that lived for God other than one individual. I want you to know that we, it's not that bad quite yet, but the Bible says that in the last days, men will not endure sound doctrine, that they will have a form of godliness, but they will deny the power thereof, that there will be a great falling away from the church. You start telling people about the Bible, well, that's your opinion, and that's for church. That don't work in the real world. I hear what you're saying, but I, 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 can, I know what I experience. I, 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 I know I'm the fourth member of the Trinity. Why do you know it? Because I feel that way. Yeah, I, 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 I know who I, my, most, my most authentic self is because I decided as if God hasn't spoken. One of the evidences that we're in the last days that people who say that they're Christians will totally reject the authority of God's word. But here's what God says. He says, the earth and heaven will pass away, but not one jot, not one tittle. The smallest punctuation in God's word, not a comma, not a period, none of it will pass away. All of earth and heaven will fail before this word of God fails, because the word of God is powerful and sharp than any, than any two-edged sword. He said, my word shall never return unto thee void, but it will accomplish that which I please. Wherever the word goes forth, God said, so God protects his remnant. Somebody say protects his remnant. That's why, that's why in the Arquanine, David puts it this way. He says, you are my hiding place. You're my shelter. You're my refuge. You preserve me in the time of trouble. Somebody ought to know by now we're in a time of trouble. The Bible says that God is my refuge. He is my source of strength. I can run to him and hide under the cover of his wings. In the midst of all that we're going through, God is my refuge and my strength. In the midst of everything that we're going through, be still and know that he is God. Now, what was God's response to the satanic plot? What is God's response to all that is going on? I want you to know that there are real uh, uh, clear parallels and similarities to the times that we're living in and the times that Noah actually lived. Here's the first response. God set limits on the length of mankind's life and the span of his divine patience for withholding judgment. Let me say that again. Here was God's first response. He said, let me read the verse. Verse 3 says, my spirit will not always contend, strive, restrain. It will not always, it will, it will not always protect man from my divine judgment that I'm holding back by grace. So that's one thing that God says. He says, my spirit will not strive with man forever, 
but I'm going to set a limit on the length of mankind's life. So prior to the fall, God did not intend for man to die. We were created to live eternity, eternally. That's why God put Adam out of the garden and put an angel cherubim in front of the garden with a flaming sword, lest he eat of the tree of life and live forever separated from God. And one of the blessings of the garden is that God created the garden with a canopy that covered the entire earth, that there was no direct contact with the sun. The sun is the main cause of aging. And so with the, with the canopy covering and protecting from the rays of sun, mankind lived as long as Methuselah. Methuselah lived to be 969 years. But in all of his years, the Bible says that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and one day... And a thousand years is one day. One day with God is only a thousand. thousand. So he didn't even live one day. But after the fall, the consequence of Adam, the Bible says, we all through Adam have died. If you can imagine, and somebody ought to be watching the Eagles today. If you're watching the Eagles, you got, you got, you got, you got, you got your offensive lineman, and you got your your halfback and your quarterback. And if any, if one of them jump offside, it don't take the whole team. If one man jumps offside, the whole team is penalized. When Adam sinned in the garden, he he caused the whole human race to be penalized. And so the limit of man's life following the flood, God says, no longer than 120 years. But when you get to Psalm 91, God restricts that now down to 70. And he said, if for good, if for if with restraint or with difficulty, some will live to be 80 and others are living older. But it doesn't get better as you get older. Man is born of a woman a few days. And, and, and Job said, full of trouble. Am I right about it? And so, and so, so he, he sets the limit, he says, and, and here's the other interesting thing, that the, the 120 days also, 120 years also becomes the limit to which the, the Holy Spirit, who's restrained, said, my spirit shall not always be restrained. My spirit shall not always shield man, that after 120 years, my judgment's coming. Now, I don't know when the judgment of God is going to be pulled back the hedge of protection that God has around all of us. But every now and then, when we refuse to repent, the hedge is pulled back. His spirit is not restraining. The Bible talks about a time before the man of sin is revealed, before the Antichrist in the, in the, in the last days is revealed. One of the evidences that we're in the last time, when the, before the tribulation occurs, the Bible says that the church will be taken out of the world, raptured out of the world. And when the church is raptured out of the world, he said that the restrainer will be removed. And the restrainer is the Holy Spirit living in us. We are the salt and the light. Once the salt and the light, light is removed, then Satan has free reign. We already see what the spirit of deception can do with people standing in the, rows, in, in the White House without, without mask and shoulder to shoulder. Deception is powerful. But when the restrainer is removed, so God said, my spirit, like in the time of Noah, he said, my spirit will not always shield from my divine judgment. The same will be true in the end days when the church has been taken. There will not be a shield of protection from receiving divine judgment. God, the second response was God, the Bible says that God was grieved. The scripture actually says God was sorry he made man. It breaks the heart of God that those who he created with his own, and he said, let us make man in our own image and likeness, that the very highest apex of God's creation 
can be created in the image of God, and mankind is the only one of God's creation that can put his fist in God's face and say no. I want you to know that as God is watching this pandemic and hundreds of thousands of people killed and millions of people infected, his heart is broken because it was never intended to be this way. God is grieving. At every funeral, God's heart is broken. I want you to know if God could shed literal tears, the entire earth would probably be flooded by his grief. God is grieved at, the, at, at creating mankind who have, we can choose to, to pray or, or, or to curse God. Here's the third thing. God decided to destroy the world with a universal flood. A universal flood is not what's going on in some of the coastal cities like in Florida and in, in, in the Carolinas. We see the floods and the tidal waves. We even see tsunamis. You're talking, this was a universal tsunami. The scripture says that for 40 days and 40 nights that God opened up the very floodgates of the, the heavens. He removed the canopy that held the water and the water that was under the earth and the rivers that God had made. All of that came upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. A universal flood. It was really interesting. Uh, in doing some study with archaeology, archaeologists all just amazed that they've done uh, excavation uh, uh, ex exhibitions, and they've been in the Arctic, coldest part of the world, and they're digging and they find the bones of an elephant. They said, well, "How in the world <laughs> did an elephant end up in the Arctic?" Universal flood. After the waters, after the flood stopped, the Bible says that God caused the, the winds to blow so firmly and so forcefully for, for, for extreme length of time that everything that died ended up wherever it ended up. You go to Africa, you'll find, you'll find polar bears buried. God decided to destroy the world by a universal flood. The interesting thing, when you read the scripture, when God made the, the covenant between the, the, the rainbow, the covenant between him and Noah following the flood, he said it will never rain. The world will never be destroyed by water again, but it will be destroyed by fire. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter uh, 24 regarding the end times as it related to what Noah's experience was. Jesus speaks about future judgment coming upon the end of the world. And, and when you get it, look at Matthew chapter 24, verses 37 through 39. Jesus says this. As in the time of Noah, so it will be in the, when the coming of the Son of Man is. For in, the, for in that day, for in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, just having a ball. Up to the day, so day Noah entered into the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. The Bible says that be, be ye also ready for such a time you think not, because the Lord is coming back as a thief in the night. And one of the astonishing things is on the day that it rained, people still didn't get it. God told Noah and his family to enter into the ark, and he, the Bible says, and God shut the door. 
Once the door of safety was closed, there was no other opportunity. There was no second chance. The Bible says the moment that you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. The day of salvation is now. Seek ye the Lord while he yet may be found. Because when the door closes, when God says, I'm removing my spirit because there's a sin, there's a sin unto death, you won't have it. I don't care how much you pray or who you ask to pray for. There's a sin unto death where God will close the door. And you can't enter in. Just like in the days of Noah, it won't be water next time. But 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 through 14 says that everything that you see, all this stuff that we spend all of our effort and time and, and concerns about, he says, all that is seen will be burned out by the, by the firmaments of God's, the smoke that comes, the fire that comes from the nostrils of God. He's going to release divine judgment and burn everything that we see. Bible says he's going to create a new heaven and earth. There's going to be a fire in everything that we see that it will be destroyed. And so God created the ark to protect, uh, and, and he responded because by de deciding to destroy the earth, God responded by grieving. God responded by restricting the length of man's life and also how long it would be before he would execute judgment. Now, who, would, who did God choose? Say, who did God choose? To express his grace and truth about judgment. I'm glad you asked. God chose Noah to demonstrate grace and truth. Grace and truth. Now, here's the grace. Even when God is judging us, aren't you glad that his mercies are new every day? Aren't you glad we're not consumed? Because if we got what we deserve, can you imagine that every, if every time we send a, a limb would fall off, a, a finger or a toe, an ear, you know, I ain't saying, we'd be bouncing up in church, you know, just, we'd be just uh, nubbed, you know. But his mercies are new every day. Great is his faithfulness. Not my faithfulness, but his faithfulness. The grace of God that was on display, even though judgment was coming, was he gave them 120 years. 120 years. I don't know how long it took you to come to Jesus, but he was waiting for you. That's grace. The Bible says, for by grace you have been saved. Through faith, that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Even the faith that I have to say yes, it's a gift from God. Without his gift, I wouldn't even be able to recognize that I need him. The scripture says, except the spirit of God draws us. The spirit of God so worked on your heart. At some point in your life, we had been living for the devil. The Bible says there was none righteous. No, not one. We all were like sheep without a shepherd. We'd gone astray. But the Lord in his love, he called you out of darkness. Somebody say amen. He reached down wherever you were in your pain, in your confusion, in your hopelessness. And he snatched you out of the very kingdom of heaven, hell. That's grace. That's when you get what you don't deserve. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. But truth is also on display through Noah because God said in 120 years, my spirit will stop striving. There will no, there no longer the shield of protection. I don't know what God, what area in your life God may be dealing with, telling you to repent, to turn away from. At some point, God will say that the shield of hedge of protection that's keeping divine judgment from coming upon you, that's going to be removed. 
And so the word is still true 120 years later. If you don't obey it, you can reject it, but it's still true. And until you obey it, you haven't completed the assignment. You just delayed the, you just delayed the job. Somebody say amen. Now let's see some characteristics of this man named Noah. What, what distinguished him in such a way that God would whisper in his ear out of all the people that were in the world? It doesn't say Noah's family was saved. They weren't saved. They didn't know Jesus. It was Noah. The Bible said out of every human being, there was just one. And God whispered into his ear. I want you to know that God will say things. God said, eyes have not seen, nor ears heard, nor has entered into the hearts of men. What I will say to those who love me and walk upright. There's some things that God will say to you that only, the only way you know is because God said it to you. Here's what you need to understand. When he says it to you, it's for you. That's why when you tell other people, they look at you like you got ten heads. It wasn't for them. Here's how Noah was distinguished. Listen to what the scripture says in verse 8 of Genesis chapter 6. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah pleased God. The word for favor is grace. And, 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 the, and, and the, the idea is that God found pleasure in Noah. God was pleased by Noah. What pleases God? The Bible says, for without, but without faith. It is impossible to please God, for he that comes to God must believe that God is, and that God is a reward of God. Noah pleased God because he had faith that what God said is so even before it becomes so. Is God pleased with you? Do you believe, if you want to know if you believe God's word, the greatest evidence of your faith in the word of God is your obedience. Well, I, 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 you know, I've been speaking to my mountain, and I've been decreeing and declaring it. Well, you don't have to declare, declare that mountain that you want to move. God said, walk around it. <laughs> God may be saying about that mountain that you want to move. God said, no, I want you to stand here and be developed by it. So faith is not necessarily getting what you want, but it is giving God what he wants, even when it makes no sense. Somebody say amen. So Noah pleased God. Noah also practiced what he preached. The scripture says that Noah was a righteous man. He was just. He was honest. He told the truth. Oh, God, what would I give to have leaders that would tell it? Just tell the truth. Oh, my goodness. Noah practiced what he preached. Sometimes Are we walking so loudly with our lifestyle that people can't hear what we say? I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I believe Jesus passed the joint. Whoa. Okay. Can I get some of that? Whoa. Whoa. Wait a minute. Yeah, I know she married, but man, he fine. But he's a man and you a man. Whoa. But the interesting thing, when God said to, add, to, to Noah about who to put on the, on the ark, the question was, how did a snail make it to the ark? How are you the snow? Is a small snow? He said, by perseverance. Perseverance. But when he said, I want you to choose two of each, he said, male and female. He didn't say anything in between that. He didn't have to have a discussion. Well, what do you think you are, and what do you think you are? And male and female get on this boat, and if you're not one of those, you don't get on. 
Oh, you say, well, that's Old Testament. No, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 12, it says, no practicing this or that, not just, you know, will, you, will not in, you will not inhabit the kingdom. You ain't getting on the ark. You can't comfortably live in sin and expect to be saved. That's not, that's, that's not the Bible that I read. Somebody say amen. Noah also pursued, pursued spiritual growth. The Bible says he was perfect. Perfection does not mean that he was without sin because we learn in Genesis chapter 9 that Noah had a problem. He had a, he had a drinking problem. He was like a closet alcoholic. The boy got drunk until all his clothes off. Some say, take your clothes off. You know, when you, you know, and maybe some of you ain't like me. And, you know, some of you may never drink anything. Thank praise God. Hallelujah. There's something about alcohol to tell you to do stuff you don't ever think you would do in a million years. And you did, and I did what? I went where? I said what? You want to know where your clothes are? What do you mean where my clothes are? I got, oh, no, I don't have them on. We know the story how one of Noah's sons saw him with all of his clothes off, Ham. And Ham said, oh, dad. <laughs> he made fun of his father. And, of course, we know when you get a chance, you need to read the story, Genesis 6 through 9, when you get an opportunity. You still with me? So he pursued all that. He was perfect. That is, he was spiritually mature and maturing. You never get to a point as a Christian. I just wish I was like sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so. I just want to know you never arrive. Paul said, this one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind, and I press towards the mark of the I'm still pressing. I'm still stretching. I'm still chasing after him that I might be apprehended. I might apprehend him as he's there. So you always are growing spiritually. Stay with me. He also proclaimed God's word. For 120 years, he had a four-word sermon. Man, can Pastor Richardson, can Pastor Benson preach a four-word sermon? He preached, it's going to rain. He worked during the day building this ark, and he witnessed at night. And he would go amongst them, okay, here comes, it's going to rain. Here he comes, it's going to rain, God. It's going to rain. And, for, and they mocked him. They ridiculed him. They verbally abused him. You crazy, man. You spending all your money and time building an ark, and, and you're talking about rain. What is rain? That's like telling somebody, yeah, I want you to take everything that you've ever saved and go down to the middle of the Sahara Desert, and I want you to build a boat, an ocean liner. Okay. Nobody would do that. Not nobody with brains working, right? All right. So he also persevered under pressure. The Bible said he walked with God. That means he not only walked, he didn't walk ahead of God or behind God. He walked side by side. He had an intimate relationship with God. He, Noah and God had a thing going on. I wonder if you love the Lord like that. The scripture says, if you draw near unto him, he'll draw nigh unto you. Do you love him like that? Well, I love my boyfriend like that. I love my girlfriend like that. But God, your boyfriend ain't saved you. Your boyfriend ain't giving you life in your body. He's not making your heart beat right now. He's not the one that's causing your brain to work halfway right. I, I, the Bible says that it's the, the earth is the Lord and everything that is. That includes you and me. I want, to, I want to submit to you that the greatest commandment is that you love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. And the reason it starts with God is because you ain't going to love nobody right until you can love God right, including yourself. The second commandment is like unto the first. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. But it start, if you want to have a great relationship with a male or, or a family, you need to start with loving God. The scripture says that Noah walked with God. He persevered under pressure. 
Well, we can praise God real good at church. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, praise you. And then we get to church, get, get to work. We don't say nothing. Undercover Christians. Everybody's coming out but Christians. Here's the final thing. No, there's two more things. The, Noah also praised the Lord. Say praise the Lord. While he built the ark. The scripture says in, in verse 7 of uh, Hebrews chapter 11, in holy fear, he built an ark to save his family. And so holy, the, main, the word fear means to be in awe, reverential awe. He was worshiping God. He was working and worshiping. Praise you, Lord. I don't know how this is going to end. Praise you, Lord. People call me crazy. Lord, this has cost me a lot of money. It's taken a lot of time, but he kept worshiping. Now, notice the motive of this father to save his household. I want you to know every man that has breath in your body that the reason why God has given you your family is that you would be that ark, you would be there, the ark to them, that you would be the entrance to the relationship with Jesus Christ. You may not, be, you may not have caused your children to make the decisions that they've made, but as a man, you are held by God. You're held responsible. It's our job, not our wife's job, not the church's job, not the Sunday school teacher's job. It's the job of husbands to train up their children in the way that they should go, to make sure that your children are exposed to the things. We're almost done. Noah also finally proved his faith by obeying God's word. In verse 22 of chapter 6, listen to what the word of God said. Noah did everything just as God commanded. He proved his faith. You haven't obeyed God if you only do 5% of it. My mother used to say, Howard! Clean that dirty room. And she would say it in such a way that I understood she meant it. But somehow, in my wise understanding of things, I didn't think she really meant it because she didn't always check. And so what I would do, everything that was on the floor, I pushed it under the bed. Sometimes I had so much stuff under my bed that the legs didn't touch the floor. I, like, I was like Gilligan's Island, man. My boat, my, I, had like a, I could play like I was on a boat, man. And then she'd come up every once in a while and say, let me check. I said, my room is clean because I had a long blanket. She said, sit down. And then my bed would go up. <laughs> and then it would be on. You didn't clean it. Yes, I did. You didn't do it the way I said. If you don't do it the way God has said, because obedience is, is the primary objective of obedience is to please God. And if you don't obey him, you haven't obeyed. If you haven't done what God says to the fullness of the command, you haven't obeyed. And if you aren't obeying, you're not walking by faith. Faith is walking in obedience to the Lord. When Jesus was hungry after 40 days of fasting and praying, he was really hungry. And they said, you need to eat, don't you? Yeah. The problem was what wasn't what, what Satan said. It was who was saying it. Well, you have needs. You're this, you're that. And the needs are real. But who's telling you how to meet those needs? Let, let me run on. Let me, let me finish. How can you build your ark to, to save for safety and security of your family? Do you want to hear those things? Let me share four quick things. Here's how you can build the ark so they'll come. First of all, awareness of how to build is needed. Say, awareness is needed. Here's how the psalmist put it in Psalm 127, verse 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds a house, 
The builders labor in vain. And unless the Lord watch over the city, the guard stays awake in vain. And so if you want to get the building properly structured, you need to let God give you the specifications. Unless the Lord builds your house, unless the Lord is making your plans, unless you're putting your desires and your goals at the altar before the foot of God and you're getting his approval, I want you to know that the best you can do will never add up to what God intends for you. Here's the second thing, an accurate knowledge of the word. When you get a chance, look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 7, 6 through 7. The scripture says, by the word of God, we know from the example of Noah that God spoke. And the same word that he spoke creation into existence, he spoke again. And he said, everything that breathes will be destroyed. And the flood came by his word. He said, in the same manner, God is restoring and restraining himself by the spirit. But one day the same word will be spoken and everything that we see will be disintegrated, dissolved in the flames because God will speak into existence, destruction through fire by the word. And so I'm not overly concerned about uh, the pandemic because I know how it's going to end. You need to understand your word. You need to be in the scriptures. What does God say about times such as this? And while we're understanding what God says about times of that, put your mask on. Amen. And social distance. That, that when you, when you, all right. You need to appreciate. Appreciation is need. Say appreciation. In verse 9 of chapter 2, in, in, of chapter 3 in 2 second, second Peter says, but God is not slack as some men count slackness, but he's long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all God... We we appreciate the fact that God waited on you, that he waited on me. He could have taken us out of this world. He could have killed us in our mother's womb. But God allowed us to go through our craziness, walking away from him, disobeying him, rejecting him. But he waited. And when we say yes, he welcomed us into his family. He was not willing that you should perish, but that you and I would come unto repentance. And here, final thing. Actions are needed. Noah did everything just like God commanded. In 2 Peter chapter uh, 3, verse 14, uh, Peter speaking, he says, So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, the end of things as we know them, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. You should be living every single day like Enoch with your bags packed. Living in such a way that you're ready if the Lord said in, at such an hour and time where you think he could come back today while you're driving home. You'd be taking out your car and still be rolling up the road. You'd be getting ready to take a Z and you wake up, you in heaven. The Bible says we're going to be changed in a moment, in a twinkle before you can even bat an eye. There's not a camera that's equipped to take a picture of what's going to happen when the rapture occurs. We're going to be snatched up, translated, and be ushered into the very presence of God. Not as we currently live and live. The Bible says this corruptible flesh, this mortal flesh, shall take on immortality and we shall be changed. And we shall see Jesus as he is. And we're going to be like him because we'll be in his presence. Stand with me. I used to love watching the Twilight Zone. 
There was a current uh, episode in 1988. The title was 2020 Vision. In this episode, a man who works for a bank is offered a, a, a promotion by his boss. He doesn't want a promotion. He doesn't think he, he's com completely comfortable living a status quo, leave me alone life, like a lot of Christians. And he insisted to his, I don't want a promotion, don't, you can't make. And the boss just ignored him. And he storms out of the boss's office angry, and he bumps into one of his co-workers. His glasses fall off. She steps on his glasses, and they crack. And he's so angry with her and his boss that he, ref he, he refuses to put the glasses on. He picks the glasses on, uh, up, and he just walks around until he finally cools off. And then he, when he gets back into the bank, he puts on his cracked glasses, and he discovers that something's different. Through those cracked glasses, he's able to see events that are going to happen before they happen. He sees his co-worker falling off of a ladder and breaking her neck. And so he tells her before it happens. And she just laughs at him like he's crazy because it hadn't happened. But when it does happen, he catches her and prevents her from breaking her neck. He sees another co-worker putting thousands of dollars into the trash accidentally. And he says, you're going to, don't put the, and she hadn't done this. I said, you, you're losing your mind. And so every time he looked at something with those cracked glasses, he could see the future, the invisible, as if it were visible. Paul says, every believer now sees through a glass with fog. <laughs> we got cracked glasses on called the flesh. And so we don't see it all clearly, but we, it gets a little clearer every time I open up this word and thus saith the Lord. I get to see the future in the present because God has already revealed in his word what I can anticipate. And I'm walking towards as I am living in obedience. My glasses may be cracked, but that which I see dimly <laughs> That which I can't always understand. That which doesn't make sense to me. That which seems unfair. One day, face to face, when I'm in his presence, I will see as he sees because I'm going to see him. I'm going to see him. If you build it, if you build it by faith, they will come. They will come. I'm going to see him. I'm going to see him. Can you see him? My glasses may crack. It doesn't seem like I'm going to get there. It seems like I'm struggling more than I'm succeeding. But I'm going to get there because by faith it's already done because God said so. That means it is so. It is so. Somebody praise him. Is he worthy to be praised? Is he worthy to be praised? Bless you, Lord. Bless you. Lord, let us pray. Father God, we thank you.